Hey, oh, oh, <clears throat> I got some chestnut in my throat. <clears> throat> <laughs> Very Sponge. intense, SpongeBob. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You're listening to the John Chi Show, hosted by three Korean American adoptees diving headfirst into what it means to be adopted, Korean American, and more. And now, here's your hosts, Nathan, Patrick, and KJ. Welcome to the John Chi Show, episode seven. It is so great to be hanging out with y'all. Uh, this week, wait, nope, that's not how we do it. Uh, Nathan, what does Janchi mean in English from Korean? Uh, yes, let's talk about Janchi. Janchi. <laughs> the John word Janchi. Hence the show Janchi. The Janchi show. We are the Janchi show. Why are we the Janchi show? It's because we want to celebrate, celebrate our Korean adoption and our history and our journeys and everything that goes along with it to partay. And have a good time. It took, you like, it took you like 12 minutes to get there. That was amazing. I liked all your usages of John Chi. Oh, thanks. Like... I thought I'd mix it up a little bit since we always just say, John Chi is this, and there you go. I mean, it's it's a lot of things, honestly. Who's the so. John Chi? What's the John Chi? Exactly. Where's the John Chi? Here, here. Yeah, so, and today well, we're talking with Dan Matthews on, on episode seven. Yes, episode that's seven. pretty amazing. I, I am. I was so excited for this episode. Yeah. Um, so, who is Dan Matthews? Should people know about him if they don't? Why were we so excited to have him on the show, Nathan? Yeah, it's Dan Matthews. Uh, as many of you may or may not know, is a, a Korean American rapper, and he did a sorry Korean adopted American adoptee rapper, and he was actually. Uh, doing a documentary back in 2013 that I had the privilege of seeing. And that documentary was all about his journey as an adoptee, finding his his biological family and the journey that, that he took. And it was an amazing story. And it really inspired me to start looking myself. And so when I started looking um it just everything was was so similar to a lot of his story and it uh so it's definitely been an inspiration over the years for me yeah uh his documentary was the thing that i saw back in 2015 when i kind of restarted my journey um and was just absolutely floored that he would be uh so public about this very personal um thing to to try and find your birth family and um and just to capture that and, and be able to see that all on youtube um Plus, going just going to Korea and uh, being part of the IKAA conference, um, which is International Korean Adoptee Association, uh, I think. Yep. Um, and so, yeah, so just being able to see that and watch that was really cool. Patrick, uh, give us the highlights. What do we talk to Dan about? So we talked to him a lot about a lot of different things. Um, we touch on everything that happened post that journey and what he's been doing now. We talk a little bit about his music career and how. His story has influenced how that has has launched him from 2013 to when his albums came out. Um, we also talk about what he thinks we could be doing now, and we share a lot of laughs, but we share a lot of uh, insightful things. We were really fortunate to have Dan on because he's so involved with the community, and he's able to impart a lot of wisdom on us, people who are just entering these journeys and starting on our path. So um, it's a really great conversation. Uh, Pretty, pretty 
just great. I'm just going to say great. I'm going to let you decide, <laughs> listener. On top of the documentary that we found out uh, that there was a second documentary on YouTube and I think uh, NBC uh, as well. So it's on Facebook and streaming and things like that. So uh, that was an interesting thing to find out that there was a second follow up and and uh, and some more that you'll have to listen to the interview to find out. So Yes. And this is our very first episode with two, count them, two special guests. A little bit later in the show, we try Korean ice cream, specifically Baban Bars um, by Haitai, and we have a special guest on for that. You may recognize her as the voice of our intro. Um, that is my wife, Sarah Relke, so we're very excited for that. Uh, and maybe your cat. And also a third, <laughs> third guest. guest. All third of the guests. guests. <laughs> yeah, we're seven episodes deep, but just all of the guests are jumping on. So, um, Let's get to it. Here is the interview with Dan Matthews. I'm going to put on my podcast voice. <laughs> yes, yeah, the best like... voice. <laughs> so we are here with Dan Matthews, uh, a.k.a. Dan, for some of you probably know him. Uh, he had a documentary many, many years ago in 2013, and a lot of people have seen it, including myself. It was one of the inspiring moments of my uh, adoption journey that I uh, that helped me uh, discover my family and I think uh, some of KJ's as well but uh, we are here with Dan welcome to the show what's up guys thank you so much for having me those are very kind words I super appreciate it so Dan pretty much you know with all of our stories we want to just start a little bit with uh, some of uh, your backstory pretty much anything you want to tell us about your your adoption and your your story that uh, some people might not even know. So I want to know more about your adoption. This is going to be actually an interview where I interview you guys. You guys tell oh, me the reverse the script. You now. It's it's yeah. I just took over the podcast from the inside. My, uh, my my basic story. I was raised in Southern California. I came out from Korea when I was eight months old. Uh, raised in Camarillo, which is a town about an hour north of Los Angeles. I stayed in Southern California for school. My parents are white, like a large percentage of Korean adoptees, not the total, but a large percentage. My mom's German. My dad is whatever Americans are. And I've got one sister and she is about three years younger than me. So that's kind of my background. Happy to be uh, on this podcast. We talk about adoptive issues. And you found your your adoptive family in 2013 and is that how soon before your documentary was that, uh, um, or was it all happening at the same time? I guess it all happened at the your same time. So, the, yeah, yeah. So the brief story behind that is we we really only started searching about five, maybe six months max before we went out to Korea, and then I found out that they were interested in meeting me in like May, and then we went out in July. So I found out about two months before we were going out there. And as you guys are aware, it's not very likely that one, that you, you even make that connection. But two, if you're able to make that connection, that they're willing to meet with you so soon, usually there's a lot of conversation and a lot of, uh, obviously a lot of just having to get comfortable with the idea of, of meeting one another. And from my side, my motivation was that I didn't know when I was going to go out to, out to Korea again for a while after that. So it was, it was kind of a, I really was hoping that it was going to happen when I was going to be out there in July. And then from their side, I think I just got really lucky that they were open to the idea of meeting me and uh, that 
uh, they warmed up because again, they just it's it, it doesn't happen a lot, which is very understandable too. That they wouldn't want to meet somebody that is a, a such a a big part of uh, a tragic part of their past uh, so soon. So I was very lucky. And then on top of that, I found out that my biological mom was still married to my biological dad, which doesn't happen that often either. Usually you only find out that it's, you only find a biological mom. And then finally, they also had kids that they had had. And one of them was my identical twin brother. So again, that was just crazy to hear. And then that they, that they had a daughter after that too. So I had a, a biological sister as well. Yeah, that that point in your documentary where you're reading the email was uh, it still sticks out in my mind as well. Um, I had the similar aspect of that too when I read my email that said that I had six siblings that were waiting to hear from me, and uh, it was it was the same thing. On your paperwork that you originally had, and I don't know whether or not you got to see your paperwork when you were a kid or when you're growing up. But did it state anything about having biological siblings? Or how close was your story to your actual story? It was roughly off. I mean, it did say that there were siblings, and it did say something about um, my parents' names and everything. But I didn't get to see that until after I had done the paperwork to do the the search. So I didn't ever have any of that over the last you know 30-some years uh, with me. It was only until after I had uh, initiated the search that the agency sent me that paperwork. Same, man. Yeah. yeah. Same exact situation where the paperwork said that I had siblings, but it also had said that my parents had separated after they had had me and that they had had a kid after me, which was supposed to be my brother. So it sounded as if anything that I had a younger brother. Yeah, I can't remember how many I had uh, in the statement. But yeah, it was interesting to find out that I was the seventh of, of a long line and... Uh, um, you can go back and watch, uh, episodes, uh, episode one, if you want to hear more about my story, we really want to talk about more of you, Dan. So, um, especially going to revisit that, episode one. <laughs> yeah. <no. laughs> yeah. Just going to recap. No, but there's a lot of things about you since, since the time that we don't know about. Like, um, I, for example, I, I didn't know you did another documentary called AKA soul. Yeah. So we did that as a follow up to the AKA Dan documentary. And I was really fortunate that it, happened so so quickly that we were able to get the funding together and again similar situation where we were going out to korea anyway and it revolved around the ICA conference the international korean adoptee association and so i was going out there anyway and one of the things that i was always it has always been a big part of my mission and what i firmly believe and the reason why i think that what it is that we're doing as content creators matters is that we're ultimately validating other people's experiences, showing that that they matter and what they go through matters. And I knew that if I as an adoptee had a crazy story, there must be so many other Korean adoptees from all over the world that would have crazy stories too. Going to that first ICA conference, I met people from Australia, France, Belgium, Australia. I, I can't think of any other countries for some yeah. reason. Um, <laughs> but but you, you, you get my point. There's a lot of countries. And they, yeah. if I had a crazy story that they must have a equally, uh, or if not equally, like even a more interesting story than me. So it was really important to me that we were telling other people's stories. And we had the opportunity to, through that documentary to tell the stories of four other Korean adoptees from other parts of the country and other parts of the world. Yeah, that's cool. I'm curious, um, how did you, so IKAA is International Korean Adoptee Association, right? 
Um, and how did you, cause I don't remember if the, your AKA Dan documentary covered it. How did you get connected with that, um, conference in the first place? Was it just like a Google search or did they ask you to come and perform or, or what, what was that like? I don't know if you guys have a similar experience to me. I, I assume just cause you guys are so interested in the adoptee store anyway, that maybe you are, it's, it, it was, it was a Google search. I think I was just looking for stuff. And in 2013, that's even though it seems so soon, it really was pretty far away. That that's really when Facebook and social media was kind of just in its. It was still kind of in its infancy and still developing. So uh, I just I think I was in some adoptee groups and they were talking about this conference that happened. And then I came across the conference and I I had been wanting to go back to Korea anyway, just because I hadn't been in a while. 2013. My first time to Korea was back in 2000. And, seven 2006 and so it had been a minute since i had been to korea anyway and i really really wanted to go back to korea and if i could go back to not only just to get to experience it as an adult but also be surrounded by other adoptees sign me up that sounded yeah. like an incredible mm-hmm. experience so yeah uh, i found it through google i think that i i connected with some people from other adoptee associations that maybe had recommended it too so it i probably gotcha. heard it heard about it through a couple of different routes yeah that's cool yeah i think actually so i stumbled onto your documentary on youtube uh in 2015 um just my uh wife then girlfriend at the time um was like yo asian american uh, pacific islander heritage month have you heard about it and i was like no so then um at that point I, you know i had kind of set aside my own kind of uh, identity as a, as a Korean. And it was just like, I'll just be, you know, whatever. And I was, I was finishing up college at the time. And, um, so yeah, so she, she brought that to my attention. And so I started, uh, scrambling for all things Asian American and all things Korean American. And I, I found that, um, and was really moved. And, uh, that really kind of reinstigated my own thinking and journeying into being a, a Korean American and into being adopted. Um, so yeah, it was just, it was cool to, be like, oh, I'm not that far behind, but um, that that was available for me. Uh, so I'm really grateful that 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 story is out there because, yeah, like like Nathan said, I think it does a lot to uh, uh, to inspire the people to at least be thinking about their identities. Where I think for some of us, it's really easy to just set aside, like I I am adopted, but I don't I don't need to think about that. That doesn't come up in my day to day. And yet, I feel like now, <laughs> just generally Asian Americans, especially, are like, oh, we need to think about our place in, in American society. And so I think it drags up some other things as adoptees, you know, that makes it kind of a unique journey. Well, th- thanks, man. First off again, like that really means a lot. I empathize with that a lot because I too, before I had met my biological family was very, I, I was very, I'm Asian American. I'm not Korean American. <clears throat> um, I knew what it was like to be Asian in America. I didn't know what it was like to be Korean America. Uh, I knew that I was ethnically Korean I was starting to get to know my history. And I think as adoptees, we really fit into American culture way differently than our Asian American brethren that have first generation or at least have ethnic parents that they can biologically associate with. And we we just think about stuff in a, a different way. I'm not saying that, that second generation or third generation Asian Americans uh, don't know what it's like to have identity issues, but I think that we think about identity in a very different way. Um, and I think that 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 combination of being stuck between these two worlds and with the extra pressure and extra element of having 
family and an upbringing that wasn't your own, I think really just adds a lot more to our psyche and the way that we think. So, uh, yeah, no, I, I totally understand that. I think that we, again, we're just all super, we all have different stories. And then depending on where you grew up, your experience and the way that you think about being Asian is going to be completely different the way that I think about being Asian uh, and completely different the way that third, first generation, second generation Asians do. And not just to continue piling praise on for your documentary, but um, it really, <laughs> I think, I think what the most, uh, one of the most amazing things about it to me is, so I'm just turned 30 this year and I did not start any sort of discovery into my identity or my Korean heritage or anything like that until this year, roughly about two months ago. And I just watched your documentary for the first time two weeks ago. And I think it's a testament to the importance of it and the staying power and the relevancy of it um, for all adoptees. Because I came into this documentary having heard about it, Nathan talk about it, and KJ talk about it a little bit. And just being so fresh in my infancy of, of discovery, it really hit home for me because I really relate to your journey specifically because uh, for 10 years I rapped. And I grew up in this in this wall white community trying to fit in and not be myself. And that was and music was one of the ways that I escaped into that and trying to find, you know, that middle ground between these two worlds that I'm caught between. And while it didn't work out in the way that it's worked out for you, I, I think, but um, it really it was something that I don't know, I just was overwhelmed by emotion to, to first watch that watch your documentary and see that because it did just relate so closely to me, even though this is four years ago now um, that this has come out. And I think that the fact that you did that and you have that scene where you're going to meet your biological parents for the first time or your mom and you say, you know, am I doing the right thing by showing this, by having the cameras there and, and, and all that? I think that really, really stuck with me because, you know, it's tough. It's tough to make that decision. And well, I can't speak for anyone personally, it's I, I can say that I'm kind of almost glad that you did in a way because that's helped me along in my journey now. So um, just from that standpoint, I just want to say thanks on that. Uh, I didn't really have a question. I guess I was going to go somewhere, but I forgot what I was going to say. I just got wrapped up in it. But um, seriously, man, it was it, it was a really profound thing for me to, to see. And I'm really glad that you did go through with that and went and did the whole thing thanks man no i super appreciate that thank you i'm curious just uh because like the for the three of us and we assume other um korean adoptees have you heard uh and i guess what's been your experience with if you have uh from other korean adoptees who aren't in america and what has been like what's a maybe a standout conversation or impression from from something like that one of the things that i remember from the first time at the ica conference was i was having a conversation with this adoptee from germany and also the netherlands and i think the european adoptees what they had mentioned was that because america is so individualistic and the way that we always put the pressure on like our own personal success and it's not to say that other countries don't do that. Obviously, that's what it means to be. Everybody wants to be progressing in their own way. But I think that because America has that added pressure and that a good example for this is like when we uh, when the Olympics are here, a lot of my non or a lot of my Asian friends or like even a lot of my non-Asian friends, they usually are like rooting for their country of origin. They're like, go Korea, go Japan 
go uh, Germany. Whereas other countries, and it, it, usually America's secondary. And then like after that's go USA. Whereas like in Germany, it's like go Germany. There, that comes first, and then, then then go go Korea, like come second. So I think that's a good example of us as Americans being so prideful of our own individualistic identity. Whereas in other countries, again, not that it's not important, but I think that they think about it less. Where it's it's maybe a little bit more homogeneous too in other countries, and so maybe they're also forced to have to think about just being German over being American, you know, over their, their first national identity. Does that make sense? Right. Yeah. Yeah, totally. So, so that's one of the things that I think that I, I saw that they are more, and that could apply to like, I guess, any Asian Maybe that's not good insight for like Asian adoptees, but they just mentioned though, that they're the way that we as adoptees here in America, I think think so much about identity. They're, they're not that they're not doing that, but I think they're thinking about it maybe just a, a teensy bit less. And they're thinking more about, I think, fitting in, 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 uh, in good ways and in, in, and in bad ways. In bad ways, I do think that we come from a benefit of being in America where that's also a positive for us. And that we as adoptees and Asian Americans, we do have the ability to feel empowered by our Asianness and to want to make that a central part of us. And by being able to do that, I think that we're able to get a lot off our chest and feel more part of our, our own story versus maybe in other countries, maybe they feel a lot more censored and being able to feel that way and feel empowered by that. Uh, and that, that's only, again, my assumption based off of some conversations. And then also what I see in the American versus uh, other Western culture identities. And your brother is currently in Australia or is he out of there now? He's still in Australia. So he actually, he lives in Perth, which is East, Western Australia. Yeah, I think it's, it's on the West side. I think it's on the West side. <laughs> it, it's, I, have, I have relatives out there too in Perth, actually. Yeah, it's West Do you really? Yeah, I do. Oh, right. right. <laughs> nice. Um, how is he doing out there? How is he, uh, you know, being now a Korean in another country? How, have you talked to him a little bit about that? Yeah, so he is enjoying it. He enjoys the ability, I think, to be in a more Western society. Again, it just makes me think a lot about the Western versus Eastern identity and that he grew up in with a Korean mentality. He went to school in Korea. Like he's, he's Korean. He's Korean, Korean. And I think that it's interesting being raised like that, but he still is more adaptable and he still enjoys being in a Western society a little bit more because it's more laid back. It's tough to deny that. Like I think that anybody would agree that uh, the living in Australia is probably more relaxed and more uh, laid back than maybe living in Korea. And it's less homogeneous in Australia where I think that maybe he could feel a little more like I can do what I want to do and just pursue just enjoying my life. Not Again, not that you can't. I'm making it sound very much <laughs> like you can't do these things in other countries. Uh, but I think that anybody would agree that at its purest form, that that's what I'm talking about, for, like with Eastern and Western mentalities. Oh yeah, no, West Australia, oh, West Australia is good, <laughs> but all of Australia, I feel, is very laid back. I I, I enjoyed my time there when I went uh, um, three years or three years, thirteen years ago. Uh, it definitely has a, a really nice feel and vibe to it, so I can see yeah, how he would chill. be enjoying that. Yeah, it's kind of like uh, California. It, it's it's like L.A. Yeah. versus New York, <laughs> and that like anybody. Yeah, right. 
would be able to say it's not it's not an insult to say that New York's way more uh like on on its stuff like they're mm-hmm. New Yorkers are like more aggressive than than West Coasters. They're different. They have they have their their personalities. <laughs> so, it's those yeah. different vibes. Yeah. As, as I'm sure Indiana does as well. <laughs> so. Ugh, I don't know what vibe we have. Midwest, M Dub, that's what we do out here. <laughs> you good, man? You just enjoy that. You, have you? I, yeah. I mean, I know there's a lot of uh, Korean adoptees across the United States, and we've been talking to a lot of them. Minnesota being the number one location for Korean adoptees. Have you met many people the land from the of Midwest? A thousand that, adoptees. Yeah, talk to them. Right. Yep. Sujin Pate. Shout out to Sujin Pate. Or 10,000. What is it? Land, land of 100,000? 10,000 lakes. 10,000, I think. Yeah. yeah. However yeah. many lakes there are, there are also adoptees. <laughs> yeah. There's at least 10,000. One, one for every lake. Yeah. Yep. Have exactly. Another, I, yeah. I've been to Minneapolis before. I've been to Minnesota. And it's really amazing being in that area. My first time actually being around a large group of other adult adoptees was going to the was was going out to minnesota i think i was there for a a conference or something but it was a really cool experience have you been doing a lot of like uh, korean adoptee conferences maybe not i i like to do it whenever i can um i don't know if the amount that i'm doing it is a lot but i like to engage and try to be involved in that community as much as possible so yeah whenever i can it's 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 really cool being able to just hear other opinions and, and to see how other people are going through that that uh, that part of their lives. How's how's your Korean coming? I saw on YouTube you were uh, trying to learn Korean. Non-existent. It's gotten even worse. COVID. <laughs> don't don't worry. I think I, I I failed in the same way. I started to do it. Like, <laughs> I need to I need to learn it so I can talk to my biological family. And then it just it tapered off because I got overloaded with kids and now i have three so it uh, <laughs> i never had the chance to really just dive now into I have it three full force but i wanted to and i when i saw you were doing it i was like this is the exact same reason I, why i wanted to do it what, what's your fluency like can you read and write it i know the numbers <laughs> no i can do the numbers and hello and that's about it I, I i just i don't know that much at all so bro that's more than me i would like I, to I don't, get back i don't know the numbers it. but kj kj's been more He's he's KJ's on top of it. He's got uh, pretty good. We should uh, all join a class of it, dude. It's just it's tough because the verb is always at the end. So I'm just like waiting for like, but what's gonna happen? <laughs> <laughs> I, I just can't funny. get the pronunciations I... right. They're so similar in the pronunciations from one vowel to the other vowel or things like that. That gets me. I was like, I did not hear a difference in those two. I sound like the whitest guy. I sound whiter than white people when I try to speak any Korean. When I say, I can that's say Anyang Haseo, but that's how I say it. Anyang Haseo. Nice. And it's obvious that who is this guy trying to communicate? And do you, you still communicate with your family through Kakao or, or another program? Yeah, Kakao's been very nice. Yeah. I can do Have video calls, I can, I can send photos. No, what is that? band i think it's like a i want to say it's almost like a shared um like a almost like a facebook gallery essentially where you can put posts only among your specific group and uh, everyone can leave photos and stories and links and things like that that's how i communicate with my family in in korea and you know we i just see things majority of course is in all in korean so i have to translate it copy paste and then same thing when i want to post in it but um, it's definitely been a challenge 
and it's frustrating at times. And but recently, even they they sent me a message saying, "Hey, we haven't heard from you in a month or two. Are you are you okay? Because of course, you know, coronavirus <laughs> times. They just want to make sure. Oh, yeah. I'm like, oh no, I'm all good. Sorry, sorry, I just been busy. You know what's funny about that is that at the beginning of coronavirus back in January, February, I was saying I was sending hella messages saying, "How's Korea? Are you guys okay? Like, how is our because." The outbreak yeah. was in Pusan, and my family. And they were like, like, "We're doing amazing." <laughs> yeah, that's basically what it was. We're doing okay, and then I was like, oh, "Okay, good." And now we have it forever. It's never going to leave America. Yeah. And now we're we're like so bad. And now they're like, "Are you yeah. okay?" I'm like, "No, it's no, we're not. Like, it's not. No, we're not. They're like, it's not getting better. It's only getting worse." Can I can I come over to Korea? <laughs> yeah. And they're like, "Please don't." Yeah. yeah. We're Please stay a little longer. <laughs> No, I also uh, on your uh, documentary, your the AKA Soul thing, where you talked about how a lot of your communication, because you don't know Korean, a lot of the communication is through emoji. I, I relate to that as well. I have a lot of emoji <laughs> conversations where it's just thumbs up, and that's about it. That's it. That's all it needs to be. <laughs> yeah, uh, one of the things I, I really enjoyed about your um, the 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 portion of the AKA Soul, the second documentary, was that you've got your parents, your biological and adoptive mom to meet. And I thought that was pretty amazing. You, do you want to talk a little bit about that? Yeah, it's undoubtedly the best moment of my life. I, I don't think that anything uh, can ever compare to that. Uh, I think that, that there are certain things that people experience emotionally that you just can't, it's, you can say, oh, it's like this or it's like this, but nobody will ever know exactly that feeling. So it just, it felt really, really, uh, uh, it just felt really good to be able to bring them together. And I was very lucky. I think that the fact that they were able to meet again is something that not a lot of, not, that doesn't happen to a lot of adoptees. So I'm very grateful for that opportunity and that my mom, my mom, mom, it was okay with going out to Korea. She's always been super open to all of this. She's very, she's the most supportive person when it comes to adoption stuff. So she was very excited to go out there and it was really cool just to see them interact. And the way that I like to think about it is that it's, if my, if my life's purpose were for these two women from two completely different backgrounds and places to be able to meet and understand one another, then I've done my job as a, a human being. And that's just really incredible. Uh, so yeah, yeah, it was, it was, it was cool. Um, and I'm glad that I just kind of turn on my camera every so often to like film a little bit of it. When I, when I could, and I'm glad I was able to like film what I was able to do. So I haven't seen that documentary yet. So, I mean, you probably touch on it, but what was like the prep like for that, for that meeting? And then like the moments coming up to that, what was, what was going through your mind? What was your mom? I mean, what was your birth mom and your mom thinking? Like, did you have any insight into that or just we're meeting and and here we go? Yeah, just, it happened. It happened so fast. <laughs> you know, it's, 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 it's tough to think about what the moments were. I'm trying to think about if I was with, if I was with my biological family first and then my mom came down. And the other thing that was cool is my aunt was there too. So my aunt went out with my mom because we've got a cousin in the military. I've, I've got a cousin in the military. So my mom was going to go out there. Uh, she, was, she was out there most importantly to go meet my biological family. But I've got a cousin in the military they were stationed out in Korea anyway. So my mom and my aunt actually just happened to like, they're my aunt wanted to go visit my cousin. And so they went out, they were out there and then my aunt came down with my mom. So I want to say that they took a, a train down and that I was already with my biological family. And then my, we went to go pick them up 
And uh, that's how they, they all collectively met. So yeah, it, was, it just happened all so quickly. It's really cool. And I know your brother has come over to visit uh, you as well here in the States. Have you had any of the other family members come out? No. So they haven't come out. I don't know if my biological family would make the flight over here to America. I think it'll happen at some point in my lifetime. If and when I got I get married that I think that that would be the reason for them to come on out. I would fly them out for that. And I would uh, I assume that they would want to come. So I think that would probably be the next time they would uh, make their way out to America if they did come out to America. But my, my brother's been here twice. I've been very lucky about that. Uh, the first time was really cool because it was his first time in America. And I got to show him a lot of like really cool stuff here in the U.S. And then the second time, to actually shout out a third thing that I've shot, which I actually consider to be the third documentary or the, the third part of the trilogy. Cause every, every good story comes in threes. So the third thing was he came out here two years ago in 2018. And then we filmed this thing with Lisa Ling. Are you guys familiar with Lisa Ling? Yeah. No. <laughs> oh, <laughs> yes. So, uh, she's a, a journalist on CNN and she has a show called this is life. And so we actually, uh, it was an episode about twins, but we got to bring them out and then we got to do an interview with Lisa Lang. And I consider that to be the third one because in the first two stories, we really don't get to know his perspective or from his point of view of this whole situation. And then that really goes into more on him and like his, his background on, on meeting me. So I consider that to be like the third part of the story. Yeah, that's cool. I, um, I don't know. I mean, for me, just asking people these questions uh, as we do more shows, I want to be conscious. I think especially, um, you know, it's really great that your uh, your family was so supportive of you searching for your adoptive or your biological family and things. But like, you know, sometimes just relationships can be hairy. And so uh, we want to make sure that we are asking people to to express only, you know, their own experiences and not speak for other people as much as they can. But I think it's really cool to to be able to have that other side of that, you know, is really such a, a gift, I guess, to, um, to hear your story from another person's perspective. Yeah. KJ, I want to, yeah. Thank you for bringing that up. I, I think that that's always an extremely important part to emphasize. And the way that I always talk about stuff is that it just, um, I've got a very specific perspective. Um, I've got a very specific relationship with my family, a very specific upbringing. We're also, I, I mentioned it earlier, we're also different, uh, every one of us and how things worked out. And I am deeply empathetic, uh, about other situations. And, um, I, I totally acknowledge that. Thank you for saying that. Yeah, totally. Um, I had a question. So when you said you, uh, you went to Korea like 2007 and then went back to 2013. So, um, was meeting your biological family and going to this conference, like were those, uh, so large and important in your mind that you didn't think about anything else or, um, cause I, you know, like I said, I went back, went to Korea when I was uh, younger, like middle school age and, and would want to go back now. And so, um, I don't know if a birth family search would be included in that, but, um, I have, I guess in my mind, maybe some things that I'm like, Oh, I want to, I experienced this as a 13 year old, but I'd like to experience this now as like a 27 year old now that I am smarter and more, uh, wise, hopefully. Uh, so <laughs> besides meeting your family and besides uh going to this conference were there other like things that you wanted to do in your return to korea or if i don't i don't think you said you've been back since but yeah so what what was like kind of the other things in in that trip that you wanted to do or experience yeah and and to speak to that i've actually been back to korea i go back every once once like every other year so the last and i was actually back last year 
I went last year because my biological sister got married. Oh, And nice. so I went back for her wedding, which is crazy. Huh. And I don't know if you guys have been to a Korean wedding. Nope. But nope. they're not what you would think. <laughs> Korean weddings are the most – so you know how Korean dramas are so romantic? And the whole idea uh-huh. of Korean society is very romanticized <laughs> from a, a very generic, stereotypical thing. And the, the, the vast majority of people that aren't Korean probably think that Korea is like the most romantic place in the world. You, you, you know what I mean? <laughs> Yeah. yeah. So <laughs> Korean weddings are like going to a factory and you, you go in and the wedding happens and then it, and then it's over. And again, yeah. I, I also I, I say that and I'm not trying to belittle anything. Uh, I'm just trying to say that from a funny American standpoint. But it's a very obviously there's weddings that are a lot more romantic. Uh, but I think that in, if we had hours to talk about this, I'm sure that it has to do a lot with their society. And, and the way that things are, but there, it's just a very quick process. So you literally, there's hotels or, um, conference centers that are just made for weddings. And then people sign up for different hour slots. And then you go in, uh, the, you, you do the wedding and then, uh, you, you leave. And so it's a very, like, oh, weird. <laughs> it's, it's very casual. It's very procedural. Like if you just went to the courthouse here, you just go right in, get the certificate and get out of there. I photographed a bunch of weddings out here in LA. And one of the things that I noticed in the tradition that they do, I'm curious if they do it there, was they throw dates and chestnuts at the bride and groom. Did they do that? They do. So they do do a series of Korean traditional things that are a part of the ceremony. And that happens with the families ahead of it. So that was cool to be able to experience it. Uh, but the, the wedding itself is very procedural. I think that's actually a really good way to describe it. <laughs> so what happens after the wedding? <laughs> and and all, all power to them. Again, it, 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 that's a part of their so- the, the society. And it's a very, and it obviously it, it means a lot to the families. And I was so thrilled. And I, I, don't, I don't belittle or um, think any differently. I, I just, it's just a funny situation from an American standpoint as somebody who just expected, uh, as, when you think about Korea. <laughs> You guys get it. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, for sure. Is your biological family religious, or was the ceremony religious at all? Or it was religious in that they did say some prayers, but it wasn't like a Christian, stereotypical or Catholic wedding, or any any other sort of religion. Yeah. Please tell me that the groom carried the bride out on her back on his back. <laughs> and, and, uh, <laughs> they walked out hand in hand, so it was very. Uh-uh. That's right. another that thing a, that I've is that a thing? Yeah, I've seen it out what? here. The, the 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 bride jumps in the back of the groom, and he has to circle the room a couple times, or something out the door. So yes, that was just a. I'm thing doing that here. at my wedding. What a workout! <laughs> I did not see that, but I can see but, that maybe uh, maybe that that happens. <laughs> <laughs> so I had a question about. Um, so KJ and I are both involved in music a little bit, and. Um, you are obviously inextricably linked to music as well. I don't know if that was the right descriptive word, but I'm going to use it. Um, (laughs) I was wondering how, how much of your identity and discovering of yourself and, and pursuing learning about Korean culture and things like that, uh, influenced what you wanted to do with your music and how that, how going and and meeting your birth family, uh, at first change, maybe changed or affected the trajectory of the stuff you were working on at that time? The first answer is that it was a deep part of my understanding of myself. I think that if COVID has taught me anything, it's that I deeply need therapy 
and that I think that music was a good way for me to, uh, it was my, my version of therapy because what is therapy? Therapy is basically just talking to somebody you don't know about things that are on your mind. They're basically a blank slate. And then they kind of, they just act as this thing that you can kind of just throw stuff at. So that's what performing was for me before this, when I was able to do these shows, I was able to just talk to a blank slate, say whatever I want. They wouldn't question what I'm talking about. I would just like yell things at them in the way that I was thinking. And it felt really good. And so that was my version of therapy and being able to write out my feelings about how I exist. Like that was just a, a really good way for me to relate and talk about my, my, myself. So yeah, I think that music's been a big part of that experience. It's, and then since meeting them, it's tough to deny the fact that it, I would hate to say, I don't know if I necessarily believe in like miracles or like just that this one thing happens. So all of these new things happen, but it's tough to deny the fact that after I met them, I've only put out albums after I met them. My first solo thing came out after I met them and I wasn't I only, I was and I really, and I really only started writing those songs and a lot of the songs after I met them, anything that I wrote prior to meeting them wasn't good. And so uh, I don't know. I probably, I would have been able to write that stuff maybe with or without. It's tough for me to say, obviously not, not all of it's about adoption, but right. it's tough to know the fact that, none of the good stuff came until after I met them. So that's kind of nice to think. That's really interesting. Um, how that's just such a touchdown. I noticed that on, cause I was listening to your music today and I was like, I'm pretty sure that first album came out after the documentary. So I, that's one of the reasons I wanted to ask you that. Cause I was, I thought that was interesting how your albums and stuff came out post of that. Um, was a lot of that, did a lot of that affect the album you put out in 2018 or was that 2017? I think, um, what was that very informative as well? I mean, I mean, I think you touched on it, but um, did you go back into a deeper creative process between one and two um, after going through that journey and then, you know, now having this relationship? You know, maybe it's tough. It's easier to say that the first one directly came from that first experience meeting them. It's tougher to say that, that second one came from that experience directly because it had already happened, but it obviously we're all versions of our past and our past is linked to what we're doing now. So yeah, I'm sure that it's a part of it, but not as much as the first one. That's, that's the easy answer. And then the second answer is that thinking about it now, actually the one thing that did happen, I'm a pretty, I don't really, I don't have a lot of emotions. Like I really, I'm a, I'm a pretty like un. As much as I, I use the word empathetic, you're a robot, like, is what I'm, you're saying. I'm, yeah, I'm a robot, basically. But after I, I, yeah, no, seriously. But then after I met them, I remember I, I cried a lot after that, and that I would just like I would tear up every so often, um, and that never happened before. I rarely cried before that, so I, I think it maybe opened up something with me. As far as as your Korean adoption journey, I mean, it has been so such an open book already. What kinds of things are you doing currently with the, the, I mean, other than just communicating with your, uh, your family, what other things are you uh, doing? Well, COVID, I guess the most active stuff that I'm involved in, (laughs) well, COVID, but other than COVID. Yeah. I would say the most active things I'm involved in are there's this adoption heritage camps out in Denver, Colorado, and I'm pretty active with them. Uh, they do an annual camp for Korean 
or like for actually families throughout the summertime. So they do like a Chinese Mm -hmm, heritage camp, uh, Latin American, uh, heritage camp. And then for the Korean one, they did this last June, it was all virtual. So I was pretty involved in uh, a couple of the workshops they were doing. I'll try to get them speakers if I can. Um, I'll also try to like, if there's anybody that they're interested in from like the Asian adoptee side or like the Asian side that might be sexy or uh, interesting, I'll try to like get them autographs or, or stuff like just admit like that they can use to like maybe raise money. So I'm, I'm more active with that organization. And then there's some other organizations around the, uh, the country that I'll uh, routinely check in with, but I guess currently nothing uh, beyond that. Um, I had one other question for you, especially based on that, and especially thinking post-COVID, whenever that might be. Um, as, as someone so new to this journey and new to the adoptee groups, not only on Facebook, but just throughout the country and uh, just connecting with other adoptees, um, there's a lot of support. And then there's also a lot of, I've seen divide and stuff there as well. I'm wondering what, as someone who's been so involved and shared his story so publicly, and like you said now, working with the the heritage camps and things like that, what do you think that, maybe Korean adoptees specifically, but adoptees in general, what do you think that community is missing right now? And what do you think we as a community could do to 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 add and to continue to add value? What do you think needs to be done um, that's not being done right now? My cop-out answer is, I, I don't think that I'm the right source to answer that question. <laughs> I, I think that there's really, I, I would like to use maybe this question to just elevate the work of other adoptees and what you're doing and what Ike is doing and what the heritage camps are doing and what my friends in Chicago are doing, my friends in the, it, man, I'm so bad at naming countries and states. <laughs> uh, with, with, with CAN, the Korean American Adoptee Network, there's other organizations mm-hmm. yeah. that are doing the groundwork and that are doing really amazing things to really drive home the conversation and provide really great resources for other adoptees. So they are the ones that are providing those answers and they're currently working with the community to, to get those things done. Uh, I don't have the answer for that. But I think that all of this stuff that we're currently doing hopefully is helping. And it's a, it, it just it comes from each side. There's no one size fits all for any of us. And you need a little bit of each thing. And uh, it's totally understandable. Like you were mentioning before, people, there's other adoptees with very different experiences than I do. And I think that uh, I super acknowledge that. And I think that uh, there's other community groups that are built to help support that. And you need to uh, attack people from different angles to get them to better understand themselves. It's a lifelong journey. Right on. Well, Dan, thank you so much for uh, taking the time and coming on the show. It was uh, really fantastic to meet you virtually. I hope to get to meet you in person uh, as soon as, you know, we're able to travel and I'd also like to meet my co host in person. So (laughs) Uh, 2021 goals, you know, Um, where can people find you? What are you doing now? uh, Adoptee related or non adoptee related? Uh, Yes. I am very thankful that you guys are doing this. Thank you guys for having me on board. You can find me at Dan, AKA Dan on Instagram and most social media and most websites. And what I'm currently working on is a new album. I've got some new music. I'm really excited for, I actually think that it's some of the best stuff that I've I've ever done personally. And so, and that could just be me. It's the same way that any artists as they age, they're like, Oh, this is the best thing that I've ever written. But I do think that, (laughs) 
what I'm producing right now feels better than other things that I put out. So I'm going to start releasing that in February 2021, probably. We're going to start making some content for it. I want to have a lot of stuff that I actually release around that stand that 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 point. I want to work on another documentary. I've got another uh, not not about adoption, but I've got another documentary idea that I want to put out and a short film and a a series of just things that I want to like release around this new set of music. And then my goal is actually and Jerry, this is I'm going to hit you up again, man. I want to be on every <laughs> my goal when I release this album is to be on every single Asian podcast. I want to be, I want to yes, hit yeah. the airways on every, like I, I've got a very good view of the environment of podcasts. I want to be on every Asian podcast once this, this music comes out. So I'm going to hit you up again, Jeremy. That's amazing. He is the uh, podcast dad. So he is the one. Yeah, that yeah, yeah I was going to say, by February 2021, it will be uh, like a thousand podcasts produced by Just Like Media, and then like the ten that existed before Just Like Media existed. <laughs> yeah, so I want to be on this podcast again too. Absolutely, and we always just talk about music. This is Jeremy, yeah. and I'm I'm gonna come off mute as a surprise here. Uh, I was gonna say yes until you got my name wrong. So. Jerry, you always jumping in on surprises. Well, I have to defend my honor if people are going to ask me for something and then pronounce my name wrong. <laughs> Whatever, Jeremy. I'm totally kidding. Dude. I got excited. Uh, I, I think uh, Alan Z has set the record on Asian podcasts. He's been on our show, and, and, and he's been such a hustler with getting his word out there. But uh, happy to have you on in February and anytime you want to come on the show. Amazing. Thank you. Thank you all. Thank you guys for what you're doing. This is important. Uh, thank you, Dan. Absolutely. Great thank to you. Listen to all the, the stories. Thank you. Nathan, what are we eating today? What are we eating today, Patrick? It looks like we're eating ice cream bars. <laughs> Woo! Ba-bam bar, baby. Ba-bam bar. bar. Is that true? Yeah. 95 calories, low cholesterol. 2.5 grams of fat. I'm excited yeah. to announce that today my wife is joining us for the episode. You may know her as the voice of our intro. This is Sarah Relke. Say hello, everyone. Everyone. Welcome. Hi, Sarah. <laughs> Thanks. I was noticing, too. Look, it's it's... It's as old as I am, since 1976. <laughs> wow. I thought we were thing. pointing at the 95. Sorry, not, like, not to be ageist old. again. Sorry. But it is, it yeah, is as old as no I ageism. am. It okay, so this is ice cream, so we just need to jump right into it. There's a whole bunch of Korean on it. Yeah, and so if I don't eat it I now, I wish we had Minju on the episode. So the flavor, uh, at least the one that KJ and I have, are, is honey and chestnut. I have a... The brown sugar bubble tea bar. I think it's like a boba bar, but oh, okay. bum bar. So it's the same company. Is it high tide? Cat's coming in. Cat's coming in. She's like ice cream. Like, is this a is this a family video? Can I be a part of this? It's got little pieces of nut in it. Does it? Yeah. I mean, mine does. Mine's got. I see little. You can look at it. You can see little pieces of something in it. Ellie, you're ruining. Can you move her? Get out of here, kitten. You are not the star of the show. She's stealing Sarah's spotlight. She really is. Mine's got something <laughs> crunchy in it, and I assume that's the chestnut. So, did you bite into yours, Nathan? I, I kind of did. Like, I just took a little tooth mark out of mine. You got some strong enamel, dude. Hurts my you just bite right into the ice cream. Patrick, tell us about your babam bar. I don't know. It's not bad. It. I can taste the brown sugar for sure. It definitely feels sweet. I have not really mm. had 
like boba or bubble tea before, so I don't. I'm assuming that oh, that's man. what is bubble affecting tea is the, the taste. It's good, however, I th- depending on which bar you have. From what oh. I've heard, sometimes it is made with cool. a like a no. um, no. like a mochi instead of a tapioca, which is typically what boba is. So I, I don't oh, know if really? that's uh, what yours is specifically, but yeah, there it is. So it depends on the bar. I've got a filling in mind too. I don't know. Okay. I assume that's I assume that's honey. Yeah, same. Uh, well, it's like chewy though. No, well, I, I, I think know. that's the chestnut. Yeah, and the little honey. pieces of like chestnut in there. Mm-hmm. It's like soft nut, I guess. It's not like a crunchy mm-hmm. nut. Yeah. Yeah, I, I expect it to be crunchy. Yeah. This is good. Um, Sarah, since you're the guest, filling, you can go nice. first. How many mm-hmm. bombs do you give this bar? Bomba. Maybe like three. Really? I think so. It's not bad. Why only three out of five? Ellie. I Ellie think... gives it a five out of oh, five just for Yeah, I know. She keeps coming back. <laughs> Patrick. She's like, you good? Mm-hmm. Hurting your teeth? What are you doing? I don't know what that was. <laughs> what is that? That's the boba. As he's oh, chewy. Tastes like, <laughs> yeah. like a chewy something. It is. So like I said, like it's, either made, it's either made of mochi or tapioca, which I guess essentially just it's a little rice ball. I'm not gonna lie. When I was growing up, I hated tapioca. Oh well, these are taste big, too bad. Yeah, these are big taste too bad. pieces, so it shouldn't taste bad. Do you ever just when you had pudding options at your grandparents and they were just like, "We have tapioca." I've never had tapioca That's it. pudding. Mm-hmm. Never had tapioca. It's not good. Yeah. Yeah. Make it's not great. We're gonna make some today. How old are you? <laughs> How old are you? <laughs> hey, I thought we said we weren't ageist. That you're right. Yeah, we're not you're ageist, right. Dude. I apologize. <laughs> They've had it. I, I have. He was I just talking about how his grandma was like, "We have tapioca like pudding, and that's it." <laughs> it's good. <laughs> what? All right. I'm not a fan, but I'm, yeah, I'm people do like it. Texture, people do yeah. like it. Well, you have to try it. All right, here we go. So if Sarah gives it a three out of five, what about you? So she's the sweet one, the sweet person. It's not yeah. sweet enough. Uh, I'm gonna give this also a three out of five. I don't know how I feel about the chestnuts. Like I like the flavor of them, but like it's a weird texture mm-hmm. yeah, to I come agree. across a nutty mm-hmm. thing in a in a bar. Is um, that what the filling is in yours? The chestnuts? It's I think it's honey, and then there's like oh, chestnut okay. pieces that are the, yeah. Disguised. The pieces are spread out throughout the entire thing. You can actually see it if you look close enough. Oh okay. Oh yeah, like right there. Yeah. Yeah. So it's good flavor. It's really refreshing. It's a little cold here in Springfield right now, so I'm not like. Super into ice cream because um, the moment has passed. Even though we were going to film this hmm. a couple weeks ago when it was still properly summer, but uh, I think right now only Nathan is burning up in LA. Yeah, right? yeah. it was so. 101 yesterday. What? Yeah, I know. That sucks. It did. So yeah, three bob bombs out of five. Nathan, what about you? Well, you know me, and I I love to look at ingredients. And uh, the first ingredient 30. is water. Second ingredient is corn syrup. Third ingredient is Oyster throwing show. me for Oyster. a loop. <laughs> Processed green beans. Oh, yeah, it does have that. Weird. What the heck? I have no clue why you would put a green bean in there. For I have a green texture. bean sediment. Sediment. Oh. Interesting. Interesting. Oh, and I, not to go back to our previous episodes, but I looked up what oyster shell was used for, and it's essentially a, a calcium carbonate substitute. But Interesting. I like it. I would give it a four out of five. So uh, I would... Knock it down just for that nut, those little nuts in there too. It's a little weird uh, in the texture, mm-hmm. but the flavor of the bar is good. I also think it's not too sweet. Um, I, I do like sweet things, but I also like things that are not super sweet. So, right. But right. yeah, Patrick, I'm, I'm happy with it. I think I'm going to go three out of five too, specifically mm. or for the sole fact that this is the only flavor I've had. And I think I would have to diversify the flavorings of the bars. Like I want to try the chestnut one. 
and then maybe my my rating would adjust from there. But right. I don't know about the filling. I think it's just a little it's a little much, which takes it from a four to a three, in my opinion. Oh, you think there's too much filling? Kind of. It's it's weirdly spaced throughout the bar. I okay. think is what yeah, yeah, yeah. my thing with the filling is. I'm also going to say it was not the hardest thing to open, but it was not the easiest thing to open. So that Agreed. also factors into... You said that about everything you open. Down. It matters. <laughs> Do you see my hand? It's not easy for me to open anything. Well, so you're going to say that every time. Yeah. <laughs> Except for... No. Uh, the Close Into Crackers? Amazing. No, those are easy. Those are, those are fantastic. Oh, yeah. Those we only have open. one sleeve left. I was going to say, yeah, I, I'm going through this really all quickly. Yeah. So <laughs> that's, that's an empty box. That, <laughs> Yeah, the if I see those again, I might have to buy them again because they're oh, we'll so buy good. them again. Yeah, Sarah. Thank Actually, you so I'm much. gonna change my. I'm gonna change oh. it. I'm gonna change it to three out of five because, or three and a half out of five because I've been waiting to open these, and now that they're open, I can finally eat them after every meal. So I do think that <laughs> this is gonna be a good dessert snack. And so if I eat them here consecutively, then that bumps it up. I will say it's very light. So if you want ice yes. cream, but maybe mm-hmm. like our preferred brand of ice cream is Bluebell. Um, mm. But like, if you want something that's lighter, but you still want ice cream, this could be a good alternative. Um, yeah. So you don't get all of the calories and still some of the fun. As long as you're not allergic. And none of the protein. And none of the protein. As long as you're not allergic to chestnut. Or what? What flavor is yours again, Patrick? I keep thinking it's, it's black bean, but that's not right, right? Brown sugar bubble tea. Brown sugar bubble tea. I don't know why I had black bean in my mouth. <laughs> Sarah, thank you so much for joining us. So welcome. Thank you for being the voice of our intro. You're Yes. Uh, if people want to find you, follow you, maybe contact you for voiceover work, oh. where can they where can they find you on the internet? Well, I actually don't What's your cell phone number? Instagram handle. <laughs> find out. I don't have my phone in here. Uh, okay, wait, hold on. It's fine. <laughs> I have a website. I'll, I'll, oh, yeah, okay. Plug that. What is it? Come Sarah on, Rilke. KJ, Dot she's info. taking No, Sarah.realkey.info. Dot info. Oh, and my Instagram handle is just Sarah Rilke. But I'm on private, but if you want to add me, you can. Maybe. I'll Maybe. filter through the requests and probably <laughs> decline. You can find her on LinkedIn. <laughs> Depends. Also on LinkedIn. Yeah. For all, all business requests, go to uh, go to Herzinga. You should also thank Ellie for participating. Yeah. Also, you can find no, Ellie the cat oh, on Kat? Sarah's Instagram. <laughs> My Instagram. Uh, at Sarah Relke, R-O-E-L-K-E. Her rating was a three out of five as well. Hmm. I was wondering. New episodes of the podcast drop every Wednesday, right? Yep, that's the one. Yep, every drop Wednesday. every Wednesday. Uh, thanks again, YouTube Sarah, for joining us. Yes, please subscribe. Leave us a rating or a review. You can find the John Cheese Show on all social media platforms at John Cheese Show. You can also find us on YouTube at some sort of link because we are trying to get to 100 subscribers. When we do that, we will have our own personalized link. So hop on there if you want to see us try new stuff, things that we like, things that we don't like, and bitter melon tea, which is something we hate. (laughs) Well, something you hate. (laughs) Oh, right. We have yet to to try it. Uh, Send us an email if you want to write an email. Show at justlikemedia.com. You can find me at KJ Relke, R-O-E-L-K-E, on all of the things. You can find me at Patrick in the World on Instagram, and you can find some music by me at Patrick Isn't Real on SoundCloud. And you can find me at Nowak Photo on Instagram and then Nathan Nowak Photography everywhere else. Thank you so much for listening and or watching. Uh, Please take a minute and leave us a rating on iTunes or drop us a review. Uh, We have one right now. It just says, I think I'm going to try some kimchi. So shouts out to you uh, for leaving us that review. But if you leave us a rating or review, it really helps us get noticed. Um, And we want everybody in the world to hear 
uh, all of these Korean adoptee stories. So please help us out. Help us uh, spread the word that way. We will see you next time. Go buy some ice cream. Bye. Some ice cream. Nice. <laughs>